the views and opinions on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of ESPN Tucson 1490 and 104.9 FM or the Arizona Lotus Corporation. Got car trouble? Now's the time to talk with Jerry on the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. Call in now at 719-1490. Well, if you're one of the millions who own one of them gas-drinking, pissing, clanking, air-polluting, smoke-belching, four-wheeled buggies from Detroit City, then pay attention. I'm about to sing your song, son. Welcome back to the second hour of the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. I'm Jerry Simmons, your host, riding shotgun with me, my buddy from Frontier Towing, Jim Mooney. Welcome back, Jim. Good morning. Welcome back, Jerry. Glad everybody's hanging on for the second hour. Two hours. Quite quite a bit of information to be given out in two hours. Well, we got quite a bit of the information. Automotive industry is huge, absolutely huge. And uh, the stuff that we try to get out to you on a a regular weekend is normally when a car goes out, you look at it and you go, okay, it quit. Okay? (laughs) And I'm embarrassed to say when my Mustang quit on me a couple of weeks ago, it was out of gas. That That was on me. And so I thought, okay, how can I keep this out of the news media where Simmons, who's a guy that prevents everything from happening, supposedly, runs out of gas in a 68 Mustang? Well, you know, we have new technology. We have the gas gauges on the diesel that tells me, okay, light comes on, says, oh, you're about to run out of fuel. You only have seven miles. Well, when you get 20 miles per gallon times seven, that's 140 miles. I can still go with that light on. Well, that's not the way a Mustang works. So everything has a set of rules that it goes by. The We are so spoiled because we have a light comes on and say, okay, uh, it's time to get this done. I remember the idiot light. We used to call it an idiot light. And it would come on, and that was normally when you had already blown up the engine. And so they've come a long way with letting you know, oh, and by the way, you're in trouble. The reason I called it an idiot like everybody else called it idiot like then is because the engine had overheated to the point that it was locking down. The head gasket was blown. It's out of oil. You have just destroyed your engine, you idiot. And so he called it an idiot light. Now we have an info uh, uh, notification system. And it comes on and it says, okay, we got lights in the dash and it'll come on, little lights. And you'll go, oh, what was that? What was that? And it was a little light come on the dash. It flickered. Well, if you're not familiar with your automobile, 
it's something to be concerned about because all it did was the computer to the computer to the computer monitors your car while you're driving. It'll go through <coughs> and it runs periodic checks. It used to be about every 15 minutes it would self check them. Well, now it's instantaneous. So if it spots a sensor somewhere in your system of 33 to 40 computers and it, it, it just tells you something is out of parameter. And if a light comes on and stays on, it means, okay, you've got a something that's not operating the way it was supposed to. It is not working. It is needs to be gone in and checked out. Uh, it's not going to destroy your engine. However, it needs to be checked out before it gets worse. If you have a blinking light that comes on in your dash, and it's it's just a regular blinker. I mean, it's just like you got your turn signal on. It's blinking and it's blinking and it's blinking. It's telling you, I will shut your power down to about 40%. (coughs) You need to get this thing into a garage because I am your car. I will create massive damage. There is potential for me to really have a big, major heart attack and I need to get into a garage. That's the blinking red light. That's the one that you really, you can't skimp on. If you've got a solid light, you say, hey, it's still running. It's still running perfect. I mean, it's still running perfect. People, I know how sophisticated these uh, notifications are, the OBD2s and all of this system. As Brian was talking last week, everything operates on a, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll report this to you. You report it to the next one, and this goes up the line all the way back to your main brain. And so these things are telling you they're they're diagnosing it while it rides down the road. They've got stuff now like OnStar and some of the other ones where you can call in and say, okay, this is what I've got, and they'll tell you what the computer says is wrong with your car. Not that you're going to be able to fix it, but at least you'll know. Well, not every car has this little system that calls you up and tells you that uh, you have a problem here. Uh, my Dodge has one that tells you when the tire's low, and they'll notify you, and it come, pops up on your screen, and then they will send you a text message <coughs> about your low tire. But if you're paying attention, you probably already figured out you got a low tire anyway because your tire pressure monitor system's already notified you. But not all cars have this. Not all cars have them. So when you have a brand new car and you have an old, older car like a '68 Mustang, you're used to the new cars because that's the one you drive primarily, telling you what's going on with it, or at least giving you a forewarning. Not the Mustang. You run that sucker out of oil, you're going to blow a motor. It's that simple. <laughs> so it's almost like a relearn when you crawl in one car versus the other when you have to remember what you're in. And you, when the gauge says empty, that's exactly what it means. You've got maybe a half a gallon left in that thing, and it goes out really quick if you're not paying attention and you're driving and paying attention to the traffic around you. You know, we kind of get lost in, uh, you know, we're, we're driving. We're, we're, we're doing our thing. We're driving. And that's the reason you always make sure that when it, if it stumbles the first time, you look for an exit. You try to get off the road your own because if it just stumbles for no apparent reason, you better start finding an exit. 
and I mean quick. And then when it dies like mine did, I just rolled it. I already had the exit picked out. I didn't wait another 100 yards where there was no place to pull off. I pulled off right there. And as I pulled off, it died completely. I mean, it was just, it was gone. And uh, it was out of fuel. So don't, don't, don't be stupid. Um, I mean, just, just remember that the gauges are there for a reason. And I know some of the old gauges in the Mustangs didn't work like they used, like they're supposed to. Your sending unit is old, and you know there could be numerous reasons. But uh, no, it, when it's out of gas, it ain't going nowhere. It's just like having an electric car. When it runs out of electric, it ain't going nowhere. I don't care what you got. If the fuel that's responsible for your vehicle is not there, you're going to be. You better hope your cell phone's still hot because you're going to have to call Frontier towing at seven four eight eleven hundred and get your butt hauled in. So, all right, got anything you want to add to that one, Jim? Uh, yes, pay attention to your driving. <laughs> Running out of gas, although is not uncommon. We all and and the oh, no. the idiot light. I thought the idiot light meant quit being an idiot. So when the light came on, it was to tell you that you were being an idiot. I thought that's what the idiot light stood for, but you know, maybe it's after it already happened, you when were you an blow, idiot. You, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, when when it blows up and you've got no oil in it, one, it means you didn't check your oil. Okay. And you were an idiot. Uh, when it blows your motor, you're an idiot because if you'd have checked your oil, you wouldn't have blown your motor. So, yeah, that that saying's been around since I've been around. I mean, it, it was called an idiot light back in the '60s uh, when I first started driving, and it's it's a and I have seen that idiot light come on. I've seen it blink, and when it blinks, uh, my dad says, "When you." When you see that idiot light come on, first thing you do is get off the road and find out what's going on under the hood. And that was good information even back then. But no, well, uh, and you can no way. longer just get get out with a screw, screwdriver, you duct tape, and fix these cars and put them back on the road like we used to. They're no. a little bit more complicated yeah. than that. Well, just wait, Jerry. They're going to have you queuing your age when you when you start the car, and if you're over a certain age, you're going to have to have a phone a friend contact. So it's going to tell Wade when you were being an idiot. So Wade will get a text message saying, "Hey, uh, your dad's not operating properly. He didn't put gas in the truck. So you call him and make sure he doesn't run out." Just wait till that happens. You'll really be excited about that. Everybody, not just you, figured it out. Now everybody gets to hear about it. Emails, texts, you know, smoke signals. <laughs> so, you'll, 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 everybody will know because technology has made it there. Well, by that time, right. I'll probably be back to riding my mule. If I need to go someplace, you know, I can just see me going to the grocery store riding a mule. Uh, you know, one thing about an old mule, they'll just go and go and go. But... The price of hay now has reached $25.99 a bale, projected for all your horse owners, projected to go up to $30 by December. The only only way you can actually adjust or even accept this is California is already at $80 a bale in certain areas. $80 a bale. And depends on how many horses you had or you have to whether or not you're going to be making a mortgage payment or you're going to be feeding your animals. 
that is really expensive. And there's no um, no projection of when or if it's going to come back down. So, yeah, it changes the way that you're uh, that you think about your animals, and it, and a lot of animals, a lot of horses are for sale right now. Some pretty good prices for anybody that wants to go ahead and and brave it, and you can afford to keep an animal and uh, you know and keep them up like they're supposed to be. But they're they're all they cost me more than my Mustang does, so it's uh it's interesting. But anyway, uh, now the first hour we covered a lot of stuff. We covered a lot of stuff. Uh, the the one thing that I want to cover again, and we hit it lightly while ago. If Jim gets a call from the freeway saying, I am broke down and I'm halfway between here and El Paso. Uh, Your halfway and his halfway are two different things. Do you, what what information do you need to come and get me on the road, Jim? If I told you I was going to El Paso and I called you up and said, hey, Jim, I'm broken down. Can you come and get me? What information do you need? Well, it usually starts, I'm just outside of Tucson. Okay, you were headed towards El Paso, so you're eastbound I-10. So did you, yeah, I'm just outside of Tucson. Well, what does that mean? What does just outside Tucson mean? Is that Houghton Road? I could just be a little bit outside. Is it Sonoida Highway, Highway 83? Are you Marsh Station? Are you in Benson? Are you in Texas Canyon? Are you in Wilcox? You know where where are you at? And the trick is the real trick for any 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 provider, any service provider, whether they're gonna bring you gas or they're gonna bring you water or they're gonna come tow you, is for the for a interstate is the milepost. If, if you can get us the direction in the milepost, we can find you. And if you if you got off on a ramp, you know, oh, I I got off at the, I'm looking at the sign. It says you know, um, Colossal Cave Road. Um, Wentworth Colossal Cave. Okay, great. We know where that's at. We can find you. And most everybody does. Um, when you call and say, hi, I'm on I-10 and I'm just outside of Tucson, you know, or I'm I'm on I-10. I-10 goes all the way to the to uh, Florida. Uh, that's a long stretch of, line, of property to be traveling. It's really challenging to find somebody out there if you don't know where you're at. And when you and so you so you open up your phone and you're gonna look on Google Maps, and Google Maps is gonna tell you that it's not gonna give you the milepost reading because they don't do it. Not sure why, but Google Maps does not put the milepost on there. Okay, well, last time I checked, it did. So if you use the the AZ511, you can actually see the the milepost for the state of Arizona. So if you're if you get lost, flip up the AZ511 map, powered by uh, your friend at State Farm, and uh, they'll uh, it'll tell you what, you can kind of figure out where you're at. Um, but yeah, if you have if you kind of pay attention to where you're driving, you know I pass this road because once you pass a certain road, there's a lot of times there's other than a milepost reading, there's no markers. You know I see the desert. Mm-hmm. I'm driving down a hill. I'm driving up a hill. I'm on a bridge. And which bridge are you on? <laughs> That, you know, I just crossed over a bridge. I just went under a bridge. Yeah. You know, and and we we lose tra- as we drive, we lose track of of 
time and distance because we're 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 driving and but we're usually you know engaged in some other function. We're usually listening to the radio or or some other type of. Uh, I mean, kids are you know jumping up and down you know and and so again back to the distracted driving thing. But we we're, our GPS is telling us where to go, which is one more reason why we're not looking at the road. Now with now with steering assist. And uh, uh, what is the, the 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 a lot of the cars now have the the adaptive cruise where you can take your hands off the wheels and and it can and it'll be just driving along. Tesla's been doing it for years. Just, it'll just be driving along. Well, that's great, but you don't have any idea where you're at. You're because you're not you're not engaged in driving the vehicle anymore. You're now just a passenger, and you might as well be sleeping in the car. You know. Um, so as as you're going down the road, your your ability to to understand where you're at and what your position is, is is compromised because you don't know. So if you're going to break down, or you know, if you think you're going to have an issue, if, if the lights start, you know, all the lights come on your dashboard, you need to start figuring out where you're at so that you can tell somebody. Because like you said, Jerry, you're not going to get out from under the hood and get a screwdriver out, Phillips or flat. And tighten a hose clamp, or, or tap on the engine, and everything's going to be good. Because you and I both know, when when some when a sensor fails, or coil pack goes out, check engine light comes on because there's a miss in the number one cylinder that's you know actually in the number six cylinder, but it doesn't know the difference, and it just tells you that there's a miss in the engine, and and for some reason because because it felt like doing that today, and and it starts running rough or it stalls. Fuel pump dies, mass airflow sensor falls out. You know, all those things come into play, and now you're you're in some place that you don't know where you're at. Oh, and I'll get you one better. So now you've got T-Mobile, and I'm not bagging on T-Mobile; just use them as an example. And you don't have any cell phone service. Not only you do not know where you're at, you're on the freeway, and there's no coverage, or you're in a dip, and there's just the 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 Verizon tower, the AT&T tower, shooting right over top of you, and there's no signal, and you can't get out. So now you're really in trouble. Because now you're just waiting for somebody to come by. Maybe you can text somebody. Maybe you can't. And it happens more than you know. People, you know, there's a lot of dead spots that we don't we don't pay attention to because they're intermittent. You know, we have a dead spot. For example, you're driving I-10 towards El Paso. You go through Davidson Canyon. The phone cuts out. It cuts out for a minute or less because, well, you traveled through the through the canyon and came up on the other side. Well, if you're stuck in the bottom of that thing, you, you, the, the 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 outage is until you get out of that. So now, are you walking? Did you are you going to say start walking down the freeway to where you can get cell signal? I've been to four wheel drive calls where people have walked miles to get cell signal, and not not uh not a recommended procedure. That, Let's use the example of the guy who was hiking in Phoenix, the doctor, a doctor, a guy who's highly educated. And what does he do? He goes out on a hike and runs out of water and dies. A highly educated guy who should know better, and he does this. So if you think you're exempt, yeah, think again, because you're not. We're all – well, it happens to me. I, you know, I'm not exempt from, from breakdowns. I'm not exempt from, well, being stupid. Because you know I'm the king of it these days. Sometimes, sometimes I I I I, I that, but it happens. Things go wrong, you know. So I'm like, oh, that was a dumb decision, you know. 
so um, so all I can tell you is learn from my experience, learn from Jerry's experience. Yeah, try and do a little bit better. <laughs> try 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 and know where you're at. Try and and understand what you're doing. So um, so that when you, when you do get an emergency situation, you're not you don't the idiot light doesn't just come on and go, hey, you're an idiot today. You know, it, it, things go wrong. Right. That's what I got to say about that, Jerry. Well, that's good because, you know, uh, when we're out and you break down on the side of the road and you realize you're in trouble, people have a tendency to panic. Don't panic. Stay calm. Uh, You know, if you're out on the side of the road, uh, Jim just said, if you're down at the bottom of Davidson Canyon, you've got no cell number or cell phone. Uh, If you need to get out and hike while somebody stays with a vehicle, uh, you get out and it's hot. Uh, it's 105. The road temperature is about 145, and you're walking down the side of the freeway. Uh, you need that water in your emergency kit. You take that water with you, share it, leave some back for whoever's in the car, and then you take some with you, and um, you know, and you try to get up to hill. But keep trying to check, keep checking your cell phone, and watch for signal. And as soon as you get to a signal, I had a buddy of mine that was camping down in Emperor. Emperor Empire Ranch area, and uh, his horse went down going up a hill, and he rolled off, or his wife's horse went down, and she was hurt, and he was trying to get an ambulance called in, and he had to walk up to the top of a mountain, climb out, and walk up the top of the mountain before he could ever get sail. So I think it was about a 45-minute hike to where he could get sail. And then he was able to call in. But uh, if you could try to text out, try that. Because a lot of times when you're on the backside, you don't have cell service, you can still get out with a text message. And uh, try that. Or if you got a low battery, you can try a text because it doesn't take as much energy as it does when you're uh, talking on the phone. But, uh, yeah, just, just be safe, and these are realistic things. These are things that I've actually seen and know people that's got in trouble on, and so we're trying to pass it on so that in the event you run across it and you're not exempt, I'm telling you, you're not exempt from this stuff. It can happen to anyone, and it's hard to predict what's going to happen to you. This portion of the show is brought to you by LensAutoBrokerage.com. LensAutoBrokerage.com. They're also located at 2101 North Stone Avenue. Also, DesertRV.com. They specialize in toy haulers. DesertRV.com. Both of them have excellent websites, easy to negotiate. Automotive specialists, I was talking to Brian. Brian is still busier than a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest. Um, He's located at 3611 West Ina Road. His shop number is 520-572-1734. Brian's sale number is 520-237-3852. And automotive specialist, that's Mr. Test First, Don't Guess. And he said, he just reminded people, please test first, don't guess, and go out there and throw a lot of money into something. That's not going to fix it. And then you're going to be so disappointed because you missed your diagnosis or somebody called said, yeah, it must be this. Uh, no, not on these computerized cars. There is no, it must be this. It must be broke is what you've got. It must be broke down. 
it must be not running like it's supposed to. And the only way you're going to do it is plug in a computer to try to interface with the computer you have on your car and find out what it says. And that's only a starting point, as Brian would say. Uh, Merrill's Auto. Merrill's Auto, I've discussed him last last hour. That is the number one place that I go to get my uh, parts, uh, mainly because the expertise behind the counter. A part is a part. You try to get a good quality part. They try to stock good quality parts for you. Uh, different price ranges, depending on what you need. you got a vehicle that you run every day to California and back. You want to step it up and get the best parts that they've got available for that car. Uh, if you're running around town, you put putt and you're going grocery shopping, you're going to the doctor's appointment to bingo, go to the casino, well, that's not quite as critical. So you can take a chance on a lesser expensive part and hope like heck it works until it at least gets you through the warranty period. Parker Automotive, 5101 East Speedway, absolutely excellent shop. They have, as I discussed in the last hour, they have the big fancy uh, front-end alignment equipment. Uh, they do everything on the car except paint and body, and they know people who do paint and body, like Spectre Minor Road Auto Collision. So they've got just about everything. If you have a car that's broken down, you have a light zone, you have an air conditioning problem, you have brake failures or brake questions, our oil service. Oil service means you go in and the darn thing gets the oil changed in it. It gets the proper oil change, and it's also looked at under the bottom, over the top, under the hood, um, an alignment check while you're there. And that's that's with an oil service. So you you it's an oil service, not an oil change, and that's the difference. One is you doing you spin the filter off, you drain oil out. You change the oil, you put a new filter back on it, slap it on its bumper, and send it on its way. If you get an oil service, you've got qualified technicians looking looking under the hood for problem areas that they know is most common for vehicles. And when they spot something, they'll write it down and let you know. Nobody's holding a gun to your head. We're just trying to educate you and keep you abreast of what's going on with your vehicle. My dad told me one time a long time ago, he says, do you allow your customers to go onto the vehicle while you've got it up on the lift so that they can see where the problem is? Yes, I do always have. And he said, most people don't even know what the underside of a car looks like. And then the older people, they can't get down on the ground and slide under the car. There's no more than eight inches high. And so they never, they never ever see the undercarriage of a car. And uh, so that that's what we try to do is give you an opportunity. You want to see the underside of that car by all means. Hey, and Jerry, uh, yeah, I had the conversation. Huh? Jerry, we got a caller online. You guys want to take this call? Yeah. What's the name? It's a uh, George. He wants to talk about communication devices. Okay. Good. Well, let's go to George. Let's go to George. George, welcome to ESPN Simmons Car Care Show. Thank you, Jerry. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Doing good. Uh, I'm listening, and I was uh, thinking about a communication device I use when I'm in the backcountry riding my dirt bike off-road where you no longer have cell uh-huh. service, and it's a, it's a Garmin product. It's called an InReach Mini, and I can send text to people 
if I'm in need, I can send preset messages that appear as an email to select people that I load into that device. Or if it gets really bad, yeah. I've got an SOS button. And then I will have emergency uh, services come find me because it's GPS-based. It doesn't use cell at all. And it works as long as I can see the sky above me, this thing will work. So I, I've been using oh, that now for a number of years. There's another device, a uh, product called Spot. does virtually the similar things, but not everything that the Garmin can do. And I even take it now when I go cross-country travel on the highway in the car or the truck, again, because I can communicate Absolutely. through satellite rather than worry about cell coverage. I have actually met people on the trail in search and rescue that actually have this device. And that is one of the smartest things that I have seen out there. You know, congratulations, you found that thing. And it's got everyone, it's got all the necessary equipment in it to get you off the trail safe. And that's the main thing. Right. Yeah, thank you. And, and you it's can, a Garmin product? Sure. It's a Garmin product. There's an in-reach mini. It just means it's a little small. It'll fit in the palm of your hand, and they make other units that are larger, more size of a cell phone, if you like. Um, you pay for subscription service, obviously. There's a standard monthly fee, about $15. If you want to get into all of the emergency rescue, you know, they'll have a helicopter come get you if it's that bad. But you pay for that. You know, It's a couple hundred dollars a year, but I think it's worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for the call. This is super information. This is what the You're people welcome. need to know that is available out there because it, I am familiar with the one you're talking about, and it is it can be put in your shirt pocket and stay with you. The thing is, is when you're out riding, you have that on your body. And and people, you know, they go out and then I have a tendency, oh, I left it in a truck seat. You know, I towed my bike out to the area, but I left my Garmin in the truck seat. That's all right. I won't need it. Wrong answer. You know, so long as you keep it with you, which you do, George, and thank you for the call. This is something that people can buy, put in their car. So it costs $15 a month or whatever it is. Um, you know, if you've got to have a hel helicopter come in, it can cost you up to $15,000 for the ride. So if you can get an insurance that covers that with this Garmin, do it. I recommend that because, if, like I said, if you can predict what's going to happen, you wouldn't even need insurance. But the best way to do it is plan for the worst and hope for the best. So excellent call, George. Excellent. All right. Jim, do you got anything you want to comment on that uh, Garmin? Yeah, that's uh, those Jim, are really to really neat devices. <laughs> no, no, there, I'm here. They're, they're that's a really really neat device, and it's and it's super great, especially when you're out hiking, or four wheeling, or, or you know uh, riding uh, motorcycles. It's it's a really super great product. Um, the, only, the only thing I know is most people don't carry one when they're traveling down the road. You know they. Because it's the old adage, you know, well, do I want to spend $250 a year on something that I don't really need? Um, 
<laughs> yeah, right. And, and right. like all those things, you know, you don't know you need it until you need it. And then, then all of a sudden you're wishing you had $250, even though expensive, all of a sudden it seems like a, 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 you'll pay a million for it. So, you know, it's, it, but That's that right. product is, is super, it's super sharp. It's super sharp. It's, it really works good. I know guys who use them when they go hunt. They go out hunting and then uh, they they carry it with them in case they because they're sure you're hiking or or anywhere in the out in the desert or in the mountains and you fall down and twist your ankle or you know break your leg well you're not going anywhere so that kind of stuff well, is, it's like George says as long as you can see the sky you probably have communication and of course they do operate on a battery. <laughs> they do operate on exactly. a battery, so I would have the Garmin. Pro- I have a I have a GPS. Uh, you keep it, keep your spare charger with you. It don't weigh that much, and it fits in your shirt pocket. So yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, you know, good information, and for people that are traveling, especially for a buddy of mine that travels uh, most of the time. Uh, by herself, uh, and she would uh, benefit by this, just having this so she can push a button when she gets in trouble. And uh, I think that's that's really good. That's really good. So thanks for the call, George. Appreciate it, man. 719-1490, 719-1490. You've got any helpful suggestions for people traveling on the road? Uh, based on what you've run into with your life experiences out there, by all means, 719-1490, area code 520, and put it out. The stuff that's happened to you could happen to someone else. And the positive outcome of it, uh, maybe you can help somebody get out of a jam while they're out there. So 719-1490, prefix 520. And let's talk about it. Um I want to get back to uh, the alternate fuels just a little bit because right now the subject is uh, clean the environment. And the fuels that I have put out to you, you you notice one of them wasn't gas. That's not called an alternate energy fuel. That's called gasoline, and that's a primary fuel being used, which is supposed to be dirty. so you've got the hybrid plug-in electric vehicles, which is a HEV, plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. And then you have the all-electric vehicles, which is EV. Uh, your hybrid electric vehicles are powered by a natural internal combustion engine or other propel, uh, propulsion sources that run on conventional or alternative fuels. You can have a hybrid that runs on propane, okay? That's an alternate fuel. Uh, But it also, and then you have electric motor that uses energy stored in the batteries. The battery is charged through regenerative braking and by the internal combustion engine and is not plugged into charge, okay? The plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, which is PH, as in popcorn, Henry, Echo, Victor, are powered by an internal combustion engine that can run on conventional or alternative fuels and an electric motor that uses energy stored. That's a plug-in hybrid, all right? 
Then you have an all-electric vehicle, which is, we've discussed enough. That's the one you plug in or it don't run. Uh, fuel cell electric vehicles. Fuel cell electric vehicles powered by hydrogen are more efficient than conventional internal combustion engine vehicles that produce no harmful tailpipe exhaust. Their only emission is water. Fuel cell electric vehicles are fueled with a pure hydrogen gas stored directly on the vehicle and have the capacity to refuel in as little as three minutes and can achieve a range of more than 300 miles on a single tank. That's on a fuel cell electric vehicle. That's what they're using overseas now. Uh, then you've got the natural gas vehicles. Natural gas vehicles, which is NGV, run on compressed natural gas, CNG, and works much like gasoline-powered vehicles with spark-ignited engines. A CNG fuel system transfers high-pressure natural gas from the storage tank to the engine while reducing the pressure of the gas to operate operating pressures of the engine fuel management system. The natural gas is injected into the engine's intake air the same way gasoline is injected into a gasoline-fueled engine. The engine functions the same way <clears throat> as gasoline engines, okay? Propane vehicles. Propane is also known as liquefied petroleum gas or autogas. There are two types of propane vehicles, dedicated and biofuel. Dedicated propane vehicles are designed to run only on propane, while biofuel propane vehicles have two separate fueling systems that enables the vehicle to use either propane or gasoline. A propane vehicle, vehicles, propane vehicle's power, acceleration, and cruise speed are similar to those of conventional fueled vehicles. Propane vehicles work much like gasoline-powered vehicles with spark ignition engines. Propane is stored as a liquid in a relatively low-pressure tank. Then you have the diesel vehicle using biodiesel. Biodiesel and conventional diesel vehicles are one and the same. Although diesel vehicles are not technically alternative fuel vehicles, many are capable of running on biodiesel. Biodiesel, which is most commonly, is most often used as a blend with regular diesel fuel. They've made everything. And by the way, the best biodiesel fuel is the one made out of hemp, which is pot. Um, I talked to a guy in a laboratory down in Texas, and he was telling me, and I asked him, I said, well, what about the smell? Because, you know, if you're smoking pot, you can smell it, and people smell it and get a buzz. And I said, how does that affect when you put it in a car and you're running down the freeway? He said, well, this is what the effect of it is, and this is tested. <laughs> he said, Jerry, if you buy and you're running hemp biodiesel, 99 in your truck, and you're going down the freeway, you're going to have a line of cars behind you about a quarter of a mile or a mile. All of them are going to be happy. You're going to be running about 10 to 15 mile an hour below the speed limit, and nobody complaining, and everybody's hungry. <laughs> He said, that's the reason we can't put it out yet, because we haven't figured out how to take that buzz out of the air. 
And I thought that was funny. But he said the lubricity factor of the hemp is better than the corn made uh, biofuel. Of course, biofuel is made by different things, but most primarily corn. And uh, so is the um, uh, other fuels that they're extracting now. But it's uh, kind of interesting. But that's basically what you've got with the alternative fuels out there. So is electric going to replace all of these fuels? No. Uh, not in my lifetime. It could in the next, you know, 100 years or something like that. Electric, I still like. I'm still waiting on them bringing that little GM car back across the border for $22,000, $23,000 price range. And I want to see what it's got. It's got a 150-mile range around I mean, 150 miles, very few of us drive 150 miles in Tucson in a day. But for a little grocery getter and to run someplace, if you've got uh, charging stations, infrastructure between here and Phoenix, what's the big deal? You know, you just plan a little bit longer to get there and enjoy the ride. But I'm waiting for that to get out. In fact, I am, I'm overly anxiously waiting for that little car to come back from Mexico that GM is having it built over there. And I want to see if it's actually $22,000, $23,000. Because GM is bragging on the fact that they're being made and they're hoping to make up a lot of lost ground on their profits when it comes back to the state side. And I'm going, there must be one heck of a markup in this little electric car. Now, the batteries, there's a shortage of chemicals to make the batteries for the electric EV with the current push. So when we said the infrastructure is not set up for it, we're talking about all of the infrastructure. Do we have enough chips to build it? Now, the federal government is putting a lot of money behind chip manufacturers back in the USA that's just started to build back. And that's your tax dollars at work because it's billions of dollars behind this. And so if you want to buy some stock, then buy it in these uh, chip manufacturers that's coming back in the states that's sponsored by the federal government. So that's a good place to start putting your money to uh, to make a little extra bucks. But everything is evolving as usual. I remember when they were saying in 1986, 87, 88, 89, by 1986, they said, well, most of the innovations in the automobile will be pretty much done by 1986. Well, 86 come in. You couldn't even identify the engines as being anything even close to what they used to be. The emission standards were in. They were working. They were trying to find out what worked, what didn't work, and it kept evolving, evolving, evolving. Uh, in comes the computers, and then it's stage one, which all it did was Almost nothing. But uh, then they come with OBD2, Onboard Diagnostics 2, and it was really something else. And so it's continually, the automotive industry is changing by the second. That's how they're coming in. The problem that we've had with the infrastructure is, one, technicians being trained to work on these things. The cars are coming out so fast, they're outrunning the training that's available to technicians in the end, well, especially, well, in the independent 
Automotive Service Association has ramped up their training for electric vehicles now. Everybody has. Because this is a thing that is uh, put out in front that everybody needs an electric vehicle now. And so, but somebody's got to work on them. And we're in the automotive repair industry, and that would be Simmons, that would be Parker, that would be automotive specialists. And we're already seeing hybrids. And uh, But before the hybrids, and now they're coming out with all plug-ins, uh, batteries, the battery technology has increased immensely. Um, you know, and I've heard war stories on the guy that had the, and this was out of a customer, uh, a guy's mouth. And he said that uh, they have a little Prius. Uh, the batteries went dead in it after 180,000 miles or something like that. And uh, so they got ready to replace the batteries, and the OE batteries were cost prohibitive, and according to him. And he said, so I did, and they said, well, we can get you some aftermarkets, and we'll put them in there. He said he got the aftermarket batteries in there in uh, less than, I want to say, six months. Somewhere in that range, he had to go back and replace the aftermarket batteries again. And again at six months, or about seven months after that, he had to replace the battery again. And he went back and paid the big bucks to get the battery from Toyota, and the problem solved. And so the battery technology, technology is something that I have been talking about and Brian's been talking about, for, oh, my God, the last 33 years on the radio. Battery technology, a battery is a battery is a battery is not the case. It's not the case. I don't care if you're buying one for your cell phone. I don't care if you're buying one for your uh, garage door opener, your flashlight, a battery a battery, a battery, heavy-duty battery doesn't mean jack crap. I've done tested the heavy-duty batteries. I thought, wow, why do I need to buy the Energizer with a copper top when I can get this one? And it's a super heavy-duty, super heavy-duty. Well, I found out the super heavy-duty let me down. And you know, I was replacing them almost three to one to the copper tops. So I learned the basic basic thing that happens to these batteries. You know, they can only take so much. Now, we're talking about batteries for, I just went out yesterday and bought a weed eater. It's got another 20-volt battery in it. I bought the state-of-the-art weed eater because Mother Nature has left me with a jungle. And I've already put down 18 gallons of weed killer just to control the weeds coming up around the gravel and everything else around my property. And so, but now... I've got to go out and cut the other grass, and the only way i got to cut it, I don't have a bush hog to go on the back of my tractor, so I've got to do it with a weed eater. So I bought a weed eater that has a 40-minute 40, 40 cycle in the battery, running wide open, doing the weed eater, 40 minutes. So I know that I'm only going to have to work out in the sun for 40 minutes, and then i got a good excuse to go in the house and wait until that battery recharges up. Basically, the same thing as owning an electric car. Battery goes dead, you plug the darn thing in. So, and the more you use the weed eater on high speed, to give you an example, the other electronic weed eater that I had, the reason I went and bought this one, is it was nine years old. Well, the technology has increased. That had a runtime of wide open for 10 minutes. That was it. 
Well, I got a small yard. I didn't use it. But when I started needing a demand, and then plus over nine years, the battery, even with a recharge, the recharge cycle, recharge cycle, recharge cycle, the last time I used it, it lasts three and a half minutes, and then it was out. So I said, okay, well, it's time to go get another one because this one's battery is built in. And there's no replacing that battery without it costing about three times what that original weed eater cost. So just because you got a battery, that don't mean that you're home free. And it's just like anything in the automotive industry. If you run out of gas, you're going to have to gas it up. You run out of diesel, you're going to have to gas it up and hope you didn't tear something up. If you run out of uh, uh, weed eater, well, you get a break. You get to go in the house, sit down in the air conditioning, turn the fan on, get you a pro propel water drink and replace electrolytes and take it easy for a while. I prefer that over running out of gas on the side of the road, uh, <laughs> running out electric in a car when I'm out on the freeway. And so everything is based on usage that's electric. If you're running something with energy in it, it's got to have enough energy. It's got to have enough propelled substance in it to make it work like it's supposed to. So it's nothing to panic about. It's just you need to understand how it works. Uh, cold weather affects batteries. Cold weather affects electric cars up in North Dakota and the rest of the country. Um, it, and that's just part of life. You know, they'll get batteries. If you want something that runs 600 miles, you're probably going to have to spend about $200,000 and get a Tesla or a BMW or something like that. And drive it in warm weather. If you're going to speak in an I-10, Jim says it runs all the way to Florida. That would be the trip I would take if I wanted to get 600 miles out of something. I would stay on the speed limit or a little bit below the speed limit to remember that the more you push the accelerator, the more energy it takes out of your source, whether it be gas or electric. And I'd, I'd drive it to Florida. I think the mileage would be a lot better. I sure wouldn't want to go up in the northern states and go through Wyoming, Montana, um, in the wintertime with it. it. You know, if you do, you better have about some some place to stop at about 100 miles, 125 miles, because the cold weather really affects it because you're using everything you've got in your car. The heater's running. It's running off the battery. And if you don't have a hybrid, something to regenerate the battery inside the car, you're going to run out. You're going to run out. So, you know, as long as you know it, then the only person you can blame is you. But if you don't know it, which is what this show is about, we're trying to educate you to the point where you understand how this stuff works. And not saying don't buy one. I'm just saying make sure that the purchase you get services your needs, whatever you need. That's like buying a vehicle. If you've got 10 kids and you want to go buy a smart car, it's not going to work for you. So you have to step up and get a, one of these big Ford excursions or a Suburban or a minivan or something like that to get your kids around. But if there's only you or you and your significant other, then you get a smart car. If that's what you want. That's what you get. But you have to be realistic in what you expect a vehicle to do and be able to perform at, what level you expect that vehicle to perform at. 
I don't see why in the world anybody needs a 700 or 1,000 horsepower Chrysler. And now they're putting electric uh, chargers out in police departments. And I remember reading an article on one of those, and they're not impressed with those. They say, oh, yeah, they got plenty of power. Well, uh, there was an old song out years ago say, you may outrun my old Chevrolet, but you can, can't outrun my old two-way radio. And radios is uh, the, the electronics these cars have in them now with all the computers and stuff like that. If you plan on outrunning the cop, trust me, it's going to be temporary, really temporary. You're either going to crash trying to outrun him, or if he's got a Hellcat or something like that, he's going to run away and hide from you. You're going to need the two-way because you can't catch them. That's the reason most of the cars running across the country are chargers with the big engines. And, you know, if you're going to try to outrun those, good luck. It's like trying to outrun a NASCAR. But the um, driving, your driving habits, you're pumping the accelerator that I've actually ridden with, peop- ridden with people, and they'll be driving a gas-operated vehicle, and they think, oh, it's great. I'll just pump the accelerator. And I said, why don't you use the cruise control? And then it'll start raining, and I'll say, okay, you can take the cruise control out now. Why? Because the cruise control is based on wheel, wheels and wheel spins. You need to slow down. You're in cruise control. You hit a mud hole, and the car slows down. The wheels break traction. The cruise control says, uh-uh, I'm supposed to run 75 miles an hour, by God, and that's what we're going to do. And the first thing you know, you wind up in a guardrail, and you have to call Frontier Tow and come and get you. So don't use your cruise control in inclement weather when it's raining out there or when it's snowing. Under no circumstance, use it when it's snowing. And, you know, everything comes with its own hang-up, and it's just stuff that you need to know. So now, what do you think, Jim? How have we covered the safety on these vehicles? I didn't realize it's getting as late as it is. You you covered a lot of area, a lot of ground there, Jerry. <laughs> so, um, uh, real quick, back to the uh, uh, training of the technician. Um, what people don't realize on on electric vehicles is the, the there's a, a tremendous amount of training that needs to come into play. Uh, it's it's not just it's not just about the electronics that run the car. It's about the way the car itself actually works. So, for example, DC electric motors or electric I think they're AC electric motors on cars have a tremendous amount of torque, much more torque than a gas motor. And and what we see on some new some electric cars is tremendous amount of of differential wear. Or, or gear motor wear because the torque is so high that the systems are just wearing out. And it's not just high on acceleration, it's high on deceleration. So as you as the car accelerates, there's a tremendous amount of torque. Actually, in the truck land, they actually have, have are having difficulties getting axles to hold up. But the axle can't just be a regular axle because it has to be able to accept deceleration torque as well due to the fact that they're doing regenerative braking. Well, that's uncommon for a gas car for, for, or for an de- internal combustion vehicle. Because normally on deceleration, your deceleration is, is less than the extensive torque uh, for the acceleration. So now gear sets have to be manufactured different. And 
techs have to be trained to identify these systems. Torque, torque values and, and motors all have to be, to be tested in, in different ways, coupled by the fact that you have a computer system trying to run this thing and keep the battery at full charge or half charge and still maintain um, proper acceleration, you know, when it's at half charge or no charge. Um, so the, those that kind of training that's all brand new that nobody's seen yet, and it's going to be a huge learning curve for all of us. <clears throat> the charging stations, um, just a tip, you know, I know that there's, according to the EPA, there's 45,000 charging stations around the country. But if you're in, like, L.A., there's tremendous amount of vandalism. They cut People go along and cut the cords off of them. So although there may be 45,000 charging stations, there may only be a few that work because because somebody stole the charging cord. Nobody knows why. Did they, did they steal it so they could sell it for the copper, or did they steal it because they don't like people charging? I don't know. But be aware that just because there's a, a charging system location doesn't mean the charging system is going to work. And there are significantly fewer of them than gas stations, so you're going to have to you got to kind of figure that out. I do know that we've towed stuff out of New Mexico frequently because the charging systems are down. So um, it, when you're running electric, make sure you get close to that. Get close to finding out where you want to go. <laughs> I guess that comes back to having that in-reach uh, Garmin uh, <laughs> on hand so that when you do run out, you're, you've got satellite view. All right, down to the last um, minute, Jerry. Wow, it's two hours. So, uh, well, hopefully the information we put out there, you know, all of it that I've heard is real. It's like real time. It's happened. Uh, I've been in the industry so long that everything that I regurgitate, I have either lived it or seen it. Because it's just, it, you know, if I tell you something that I read on the Internet, uh, the only thing I'll read on the Internet when I see something that makes a lot of sense and when it goes along with, with what I've learned the hard way. And uh, so that's what we put out. The information that Jim puts out on towing, that's what he does for a living as we speak. It's good. All right, we're burn up two hours, Jim. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today.